Amen. Good morning. It's uh, Easter morning today. My name is Reese. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, it's a privilege to be here with you all. Thank you for being here. This is a special day. This, uh, this past week, I mentioned this last Sunday, but this past week, a number of students on campus were going around asking their peers a question. And one of those questions that they asked was, what is Easter all about? And they had lots of good discussion. People were curious. What is Easter all about? And I told you last week that today we were going to answer that question. What is Easter all about? You know, what are we celebrating here today? What are we celebrating this morning? By God's grace, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and answer that question. If you got a Bible that was uh, handed to you by the door, most of them are the same version. They're all ESV, but um, if you want to turn to page 592, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 as our main text this morning. We're going to get a little bit of a, a workout again like we did last week. But let me pray for us to begin. God, thank you for this time this morning. Uh, we celebrate a, a monumentous event that Jesus who died, even though he was innocent, was raised to life three days later. And that has all the significance in the world, to the world and to us. We celebrate you this morning. Please open up our hearts as we read your word and please change us uh, for your sake. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to read all of Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his... And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. 
and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up you raise up for you a prophet like me from, a, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who had spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. We're going to uh, answer this question, what is Easter all about here, in three points on your outline. Celebrating Jesus' resurrection, celebrating access to God, and celebrating with amazing joy. Now, in this passage in Acts chapter 3, it had been... Probably two months or so since Jesus had died, and you know he died, and three days later was resurrected to life, and then he appeared to his disciples over a course of forty days. So Peter and John got to witness and talk with the resurrected Jesus, and they saw you know the holes in his hands and, and his side. And it it does we don't know exactly how long a time it had been since Jesus was ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1 until now. I'm guessing like a week, but we don't really know. It had been very soon after, and uh, maybe a couple of weeks, but not long. And so they're going to the temple, and they see this beggar. He gets healed, and then there's a crowd, and Peter and John snap into action. They know this is an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, because that's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. I want you to be my witnesses throughout the whole world. And if you're looking at verse 16, or 15, the end of 15, Peter and John say, we are witnesses. We saw Jesus die. We saw him resurrected. And this man being healed is evidence of that. You see, Peter and John were very bold to this whole crowd. I think in part, in main part, because they saw Jesus resurrected. They saw him come back from the dead. I didn't read it, but the, the chapter 4 continues this whole story. And if you want to look at it in verse, uh, verse 2 and 3 of chapter 4, it says the leaders and the priests and the captain of the temple uh, got annoyed at Peter and John because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they arrested them and put them in jail. That's where this, uh, this story goes. But they're very bold in telling people about Jesus, that he, he rose from the dead. So, when Peter has this opportunity to tell people about what happened, what they witnessed, what does he say? Well, follow with me. He starts, uh, I'd say, in verse uh, 13. He starts with the, the bad news. At the end of 13, 
he says, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Pilate was the, the Roman leader at that time. And he decided that Jesus was not guilty. He was going to let him go. But the crowd said opposite. They said, no, he deserves punishment. Don't let him go. Verse 14, he says, you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So not only that, but they asked for an exchange. They said, give us Barabbas, who was a convicted murderer, in exchange for Jesus, the innocent one. So they took the guilty and exchanged him for the innocent one. That's what they asked for, perverting justice. And then in 15, he says, you killed the author of life and God raised him from the dead. He ties them directly to the unjust murder of Jesus. Now, probably the people listening there weren't the ones, you know, with the swords and the nails and the cross. Maybe they were part of the crowd yelling, crucify him. Maybe they weren't. But that doesn't matter to Peter and John. They're saying everyone, directly or indirectly, has a part in the death of Jesus. Verse 17, he changes course though. You would think that after he would say all these things about them killing Jesus and perverting justice, that he would say something along the lines of, okay, now you're going to get it. God is going to come and bring his wrath on you because you did this. Because you killed the author of life. But he doesn't. Verse 18, the first word is but. That's an, a direct opposite. But there is good news. He says that God foretold all these things by the mouth of all the prophets. And that Jesus' suffering was a fulfillment of the promises and what God had said ahead of time. And so, he's not saying you're going to get it, at least right here. He appeals to them in verse 19 with an offer. In 19, he says, repent, turn back, turn away from your sins so that they may be blotted out. Another translation says wiped out. I like that one better. That's NIV. It says your sins are wiped out when you turn away, turn away from sin and turn towards Jesus. They get wiped out. And this is an offer to the whole crowd, indiscriminate of what they had done or who, who did what. This offer is for everyone. This shows the depth of God's grace in this message. Consider this. Would you offer complete and utter forgiveness and become friends with the person who killed a family member of yours? And not only that, would you take their punishment given by the judge? That is how incredible this offer is. Because that's what Jesus offers them and offers us. Kind of tucked away in here is something amazing. Verse 15. It's just a little phrase, but it's huge. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead. How many people do you know have, that have been raised from the dead? How many people do you know that were killed publicly with many, many, many witnesses, was buried publicly, and then three days later and afterwards showed himself to many people? It only happened once. And that was Jesus. And remember, it was just about two months or so 
before this actually happened. So what this means is that on Easter, we celebrate this fact and all its ramifications and implications that Jesus is alive and he lives even today. This message that Peter gives to this crowd is directly applicable to them and to us. Whether you've heard about Jesus for the first time or the thousandth time. And the application is right here in the text, verse 19. It is to repent, to turn back, turn away from your sins so that they may be wiped out. Follow Jesus and He will give you a new life. His offer of pardon is there for all to take. And let me warn you that uh, lest you start thinking about other people of how this applies to them, first make sure you don't miss your own heart and apply it to yourself. Easter is about celebrating what Jesus has done and how He died and was resurrected and to new life. His life, His new life, shows victory over sin and it shows the depth to which He pardons and He offers us new life. And this is what we primarily celebrate today. Now let's move on to point number two. There's something else that we need to celebrate when we think about Easter. And that is access to God. As Peter goes on in this message, verse 22 to 26, he talks about a lot of Old Testament prophets. And actually in verse 18, he says, God foretold these things by the mouth of all of the prophets. All of the prophets means the whole Old Testament, or what we would call the Old Testament. To them, that was the whole Bible. So basically what he's saying is, all of the Bible is telling us directly or indirectly about what was going to happen to Jesus and all of the effects of that. And in 22 to 26, he lit, again lists a couple of these by example. There's two quotes in particular. One from Deuteronomy and one from Genesis. But I want, to, uh, I want to look at one of these just to show you what Peter is trying to get at here. These were the scriptures that the Jews, the audience here, would know very well. Perhaps they even had them memorized. And Peter wants to show them, and I want to show you, how it all fits together. Just by one example. We're going to look at the Deuteronomy passage in Deuteronomy 18. So if you have the Bible, it's on page 104. And the one with the blue and white cover. Otherwise, turn to Deuteronomy 18. Now, I think on its face, if we don't know the background here, we're not going to really appreciate this quote from verse uh, 22 of Acts chapter 3. So let me read Deuteronomy 18. This is Moses speaking at the end of his life as he is recapping to the people of Israel some of the promises that God has made and as he passes the torch, what they need to remember. So this is Deuteronomy Chapter 18, verse 15 to 19. He says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. 
and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will, will require it of him. We'll stop right there. Notice a few things here. God promises to raise up a prophet like Moses from among his brothers. This tells us that this prophet is going to be human and he's going to be an Israelite. Why is God going to do this? He says, verse 16, because the people wanted it to happen. It says, just as you desired it at Horeb. And when they said, we don't want to hear God's voice anymore, etc. We're going to get deeper into that. So that's why. And then verse 17, God tells Moses what, that what they're asking for is a good thing. This is good, what they're, what they're asking. This request is good. And then in 19, Moses reminds them that they must listen to this prophet's words. It's utterly critical to listen to this prophet. You don't want to miss him. Now, we can look at this and we can see the prediction. There's going to be a prophet like Moses who's going to come. He's going to be an Israelite and he's going to be human. But I don't think from this passage we really understand the part where it says he's going to raise up a prophet like me. You know, that's Moses speaking. So unless we understand Moses' role and the context here of this request, we're not really getting the full picture. You know, why did they make this request not to hear God's voice anymore? And why is God saying this is good? So, we got to flip to Exodus 20. This is where the quote is from. This is on page 40 of the Blue and White Bible. Exodus 20. Now, this is the story of the Ten Commandments. We don't have time to read the beginning part of the Ten Commandments because I want to look at sort of the end of the chapter. But this is where... God goes, or Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and all the people are below. I want to direct your attention to verse 18 through 21 of Exodus 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and of the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Notice that God's presence is near, and he speaks to Moses, and the people are nearby too, such that they're afraid. And they see this thunder, lightning, sounds of trumpet, and a smoking mountain. And what is their reaction? 18. They were afraid and trembled and stood far off. They were afraid they were going to die. And so, 19, here's the quote that we've been following the trail of this whole time. Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. ( 
See, this is why God looks at this and says, that was a good request. Notice that in the middle of the, in the midst of these Ten Commandments here, that what you don't see is people saying, yeah, I can do it. I can do the Ten Commandments. We, we can get close to God. We don't have to fear. No, no, they cry out for help. They are scared. And again, God tells Moses, this request is good. So what's, why is it good? Well, two things. One, it's good because it's good to ask God for help when you're scared. And two, because they, they didn't even realize that when they're asking for help, when they're asking for Moses to talk to God on their behalf, what they're really asking about is Jesus. They are asking for a go-between between God and them. They're asking for a mediator. And at that moment, they're asking Moses to do it. They were asking for something, somehow, some way, to clear access to God. And they didn't know really what it was. But at that moment, they asked Moses. Because unless that was cleared and taken care of, God would come and they would be consumed in His wrath. So this quote from Acts chapter 3 that goes back to Moses' words in Deuteronomy 18 and the words here in Exodus 20 teach us something about the Ten Commandments. That they were never intended to be the bridge between you and God. That is, that you cannot access God by being a good person. By even following the Ten Commandments. And you know why? It's because no one could really follow the Ten Commandments anyway. You cannot follow them perfectly. Consider, you probably know them. One of them is, do not lie. Have you ever lied? Ever. Even a little bit. Have you ever stolen anything? Even little. Have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever given your time, energy, and money to pursuits that were not honoring of God? See, none of us measure up. God knew this, and He promised Jesus ahead of time, way back through the mouth of Moses. See, celebrating Easter is about celebrating access to God through Jesus. And His sacrifice and His new life is the only way to access God. See, Moses was that mediator in the immediate situation. But he died. And when he died, that mediator uh, role that he had was gone. And that's why Jesus is the only true mediator, the only true access to God, because he lives. And he lives forever. And the promise for the people listening in Acts 3, and the same for us, is that we can have access to God only through Jesus. And that, that mediator is forever. He will not die again. He lives forever. And so, this access to God will never cease. One big application of, of us to consider in this truth is that we have a relationship to God. And when you have a relationship with someone, you relate to them. It's really not that complicated. I heard this week, someone said, to make a point, they said, how often should I talk, or how often am I required to talk to my wife? 
What's the answer? That's a silly question. You just you talk. You relate. And for us, what does that look like with God? We read His Word and we pray. Because we have access to God and God is for us and God wants us to pray. So, why don't we? You know, I think about my own life and I don't pray as I should. I don't pray big prayers. I don't ask God for big things. I mean, He's big. He can do anything. Why don't I ask Him? He says ask. He says ask, seek, and knock. So why don't I? Why don't I confide in Him like I should? Why don't I ask Him for help when I need it? This is all to my shame because I tend to live on my own and God is an appendage. When Jesus has opened the doors, opened the gates to God directly. And Jesus has given us access to God without fear. So, do you celebrate this day of all days to celebrate Jesus' life and resurrection and the access to God that He gives today on Easter? We have access to Him in a relationship with Him. So, Peter says, all the prophets... And we just looked at one example. Speak about Jesus. That He is the living mediator promised long ago. And then finally in our outline, we're going to see that Easter is about celebrating with amazing joy. This uh, this lame man who was healed in chapter 3, let me go back to Acts 3, he had been there a long time. In verse uh, chapter 4, verse 22, it says that he was over 40 years old when he was healed. So, he had been lame for his whole life, this very long time. And it said at the beginning that he had to be carried, verse 2, carried to the temple so that he could beg for money or any food or whatever people were going to give him. Every day, someone had to carry him there and at night, carry him back home for his whole life. This guy was desperate He needed help. He needed other people to help him. And consider that even if he was alive, well, he was during Jesus' time on earth, even if he had heard about Jesus and heard about his miraculous powers, he couldn't even like walk over to Jesus and ask for help. He would have needed someone to carry him over there. So he was desperate. And so when Peter and John walk by, he holds out his hand. He's not even looking at them. And Peter says, hey, look at us. He has to get his attention. He doesn't get any money, but what he gets is so much more. Verse 16, when when Peter's talking, he says, Jesus has given this man perfect perfect health. Or another translation says, complete healing. Complete healing. Imagine the joy that this guy felt as he gets up as he feels the strength, strength in his legs and his ankles. Notice that Peter doesn't like pull him off the ground and the guy is all like, you know, wobbly and limp and he's immediately jumping and praising God. He doesn't have like atrophied muscles and, 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 and whatever else. Ha- I, I was an engineer, so I don't know about biology, but <laughs> I would think that if you were lame, and, you know, you were just laying around for a while and tried to stand up, you'd be a little wobbly. You wouldn't be able to leap and jump. And so, God completely heals this guy. Completely. And he's leaping and jumping 
and praising God in verse 8. In verse 9, the crowd who was there saw him and recognized him. So people who went up to the temple every day, they knew this guy. They knew he was there every day asking for help and for alms. And so they're amazed and filled with wonder at verse 10 because they're like, what happened to this guy? How could this have happened? And so then Peter sees the opportunity to address the crowd in verse 12. But before he does that, there's verse 11, and I love this. Where's, where's the guy at in verse 11? What's he doing? He was just leaping and jumping and praising God in joy. And what's he doing in verse 11? He is clinging to Peter and John. It doesn't say when he let go. I often wonder if he let go when the guards came to arrest them. They had to peel him away. I don't know. But he is holding on to Peter and John when he gives this me- Peter gives this message. This man had joy. And as we consider ourselves this morning, do you have this kind of joy? The joy of knowing complete healing. This guy was just desperate. And we are too. Jesus offers forgiveness. Complete healing. Complete forgiveness. Just as this man got a new life and new experiences and new joy by the thing that changed him, we have that opportunity too. A new life, new joy, new experiences. If you believe in Jesus, if He is your only Savior, your only access to God, then you have this new life and new experiences too. In 19, again, it says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Or another one says, So that your sins may be wiped out. Repenting and sins being wiped out. That's the action and that's the result. And when you have the knowledge of your sins wiped out, you have incredible joy. I remember the first time that it actually clicked with me that that's what the Gospel, that's what the good news is all about. Jesus dying for our sins and that we can have forgiveness. Complete healing. I remember I had so much joy. So much joy. It was incredible. Let us never forget where we have come from what we've been healed out of. This is incredible joy that we celebrate today because of Jesus. And there's one more application I want to, uh, for us to consider as we think about this incredible joy this morning. Remember the guy in 11 is clinging to Peter and John. This is a great picture of what it looks like to live a life in Jesus. Clinging to Him. Do you hold tightly to Jesus? What about when things are hard? Is He the anchor in the storm? Is He the one that you hold on to? You know, He will not give way. So hold on to Him. Or when temptation comes, do you hold on to Him? Do you go to Him? And if by chance you feel like you've strayed too far, that there's no more chances left for me, that I haven't held on to Jesus, And I shouldn't even bother. But let me tell you, you need to remember Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to read John 6.37. Jesus says, Whoever comes to Me, I will never drive away. I will never drive away. So come to Jesus. This is the offer that He gives. Repent and turn away from your sins so that they may be wiped out and blotted out. 
Jesus offers you new life. We celebrate His resurrection today and Easter. We celebrate access to God because Jesus has died and was resurrected and He is our mediator to God forever. And today, Easter, we celebrate and experience amazing joy. Amazing joy. Let us pray together. God, thank You for this joy today. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for this story in Acts 3 where we see a man who was healed completely and his joy was uncontainable. He was leaping and praising God. A new life was given to him. And how amazing that is. And yet, for us, we have so much more than what even what he experienced. We all live and we all die and we need your help. We need forgiveness. None of us can earn it on our own. None of us can have access to God on our own. We need Jesus. We need his life to be given to us. And you offer that to us. Full pardon, full new life in Jesus and a life eternal with you. I pray that each of us would not miss it and that each of us would grab hold of you, Jesus, especially this day as we celebrate your resurrection on Easter Sunday. We pray this in your name. Amen.